pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, hello there. I'm your host, Simon. What happens here, if you're new, is we decode the unknown. We look into little mysteries from around the world and around the internet, etc. This apparently is an internet one. The Jack Froze emails. Uh, thank you to Kevin for writing it. Uh, if you're new to the format, I will read this. I've never read it before. We're going to explore and decode the unknown together. And then afterwards, Jen... Who's that? Our wonderful video editor will uh, do the video editing. So thank you all, and let us begin. Most of us are no strangers to pulling pranks on friends and family, no matter how small the prank may be. Yeah, I love pranks. I don't know, just I've always really enjoyed them. And when I was younger, I had more time to put... I, I mean, I've done some good ones. I think my favorite one, and possibly my cruelest one was I made my sister believe that she'd won the lottery. It was elaborate. There were fake checks. There were fake letters. Uh, and this was back in the day. Like, I was, it, was, it was elaborate and cruel. <laughs> and she wasn't a kid. She was, she was a teenager. Like, late teens, mid-teens. So, yeah. That was, that was mean. <laughs> my little sister was a prime target for this. Oh, you and me both, Kevin. And my brother and I enjoyed praying, playing pranks on her. Most of them were harmless. Though when she was four or five and given access to a kid's account on AOL, my brother sent her an email from the monster that lives under your bed at yahoo.com. This wasn't quite so harmless, though, and it took quite a bit of effort to explain that her room wasn't filled with tech-savvy monsters. <laughs> your sister was small, though. A few years later, she started going through her occult-slash-wiccan face. <laughs> like all good children do. A staple for every girl that grows up in proximity of Salem, Massachusetts, despite extensive and graphic education on just how well that worked out for the alleged witches in colonial times. Once that phase began, all she wanted was a Ouija board. Ouija? Ouija. Ouija. Spelt very strangely. Actually, she wanted lots of stuff, and, and thanks to being 10 years younger than me, 12 years younger than my brother, and being the only girl, she was spoiled and got pretty much everything she wanted. I'm not bitter at all. One Christmas, yeah, I have to say, like, growing up, my parents, I felt either I was the one who was spoiled, because this is how I feel, but I feel like we all got quite equal stuff. There wasn't anyone who got just, like, more stuff than the others. We were all very close in age, so I guess that was also another thing. But yeah, no, I felt my parents were fairly even with uh, what we got, because otherwise there'd be resentment, like Kevin is seeing right now. One Christmas, her wish came true, and she got her long-awaited Ouija board. She couldn't wait to try it out, so that night, my brother, my sister, and I broke open the box and attempted to make contact with spirits from the other side. No sooner were we placed our fingertips on the planchette, if that's how you say that word, then it began to move. My sister, shocked that the present she wanted was doing the thing it was designed to do, immediately ran off to her room, never to touch the Ouija board again. Obviously, my brother and I had been messing with her, because there's no such thing as ghosts, but ghastly wails and crying could be heard emitted from my sister's bedroom for the next hour or so. Well, I mean, yeah, you and your brother, but that's the point of a Ouija board. Someone's going to move it, or you're all going to move it together, and something's going to go on. Uh, it's kind of on your sister for wanting a Ouija board on this one, I have to say. 
In the words of Australian comedy musician Tim Minchin during a nine-minute beat poem, throughout history, every mystery ever solved has turned out to be not magic. That is a specific reference. Beat poetry is also extremely weird. But who knows, maybe Tim, Simon and I all are on to a wrong on that. Not bloody likely, but despite all evidence to the contrary and the total lack of verifiable encounters with otherworldly spirits, maybe they do really exist. Again, not against the idea. Like, I'm always like, okay, I absolutely do not believe in it in any way whatsoever, but if someone came to me with convincing evidence of this, I'd be like, I'd very happily change my mind because I'd be comforted by the idea that there are ghosts because I believe, like when we die, as I've said before, that's it. It's just an endless blackness of nothing. Like, you know when you go to sleep at night? That, but just forever. And there's no dreams. I'd be comforted by learning that there is an afterlife, or spirits, or ghosts, or that we linger around, or something like that. Because that sounds better than an endless void of nothingness. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't believe any of it's true because there's been no evidence. But I'm open to it. Entirely open to it. Hoping for it, in fact. Maybe modern-day ghost sightings aren't just people's lizards' brains taking over in an instant of fear, thus rendering them incapable of rational thought, and they would still have seen what they saw in a completely calm state. And to borrow Kevin's words here, not bloody likely. Still, we are living in the information age. Long past are the days when ghosts had to resort to rapping on windows or writing messages on the walls in blood to get your attention. A new age of mankind calls for a new age of ghostly encounters. So, just like with the monster under my sister's bed, if you want to communicate with a 21st century ghost, you better check your email. Ah, oh, this sounds like something that would end up in the spam, but all that's in my spam is like emails from Nigerian princes and Viagra adverts. And it's like, I wish I was, I, I, I kind of feel like that's almost a cliche like it's a joke like yeah simon doesn't check his spam so he just thinks there's like nigerian prince emails in there and viagra adverts but it's like it's that's literally what's in there <laughs> i can't believe it still is happening however long after this first began who was jack froze no we're not talking about his worship jack froze oh pronounced freeze uh the mayor of Jack Freese, the mayor of Langley, British Columbia in Canada. We're not even talking about why on earth the Commonwealth realms use the honorific His Worship for mayors. What? They really do? Though I'd really love an answer for that for some point. at some point. I once met, I think I mentioned this before, I met the Prince of Liechtenstein. And you have to address him, it's not Sir, it's His Serene Highness. And I was like, I mean, the guy was really cool. So I was like, okay. I mean, but of course you don't have a choice of how you address him. It's like someone... <laughs> It's like, it's not even a question. It's not like you get to choose it. It's like, that's his title. That's like calling someone Mr. Except you don't use Mr. You use His Serene Highness. And I was like, wow. And there was this little guide for how to address him. <laughs> it's like, okay. I feel I was really concerned that I'd accidentally just call him man by accident at some point and be like, not appropriate when you're talking to a monarch. <laughs> Dude here. Uh, we're not talking about why on earth the Commonwealth uses. Oh, I read that already. Um, today we're talking about American Jack Free Froze. Uh, Freeze. Oh, dude, why'd you got such a hard name? The 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 guy. Look, I the British Columbia dude. Kevin says it's pronounced Freeze. I looked up this guy's name, the the thing on my pronunciation dictionary, and they said Froze. I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna assume it's Froze. I'm probably gonna change it throughout this video because I'm incompetent. Uh, he was born on the 15th of December 1978 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Do, do, do. <laughs> How's the office thing go? 
I've been watching The Office for the first time in American Office. Scranton seems to come up a lot in my in my life since I started watching The Office for just some random small town, which I think is the equivalent of like Slough in the UK. I used to work near Slough. Um, it's where the British office is set. He earned his degree in sound recording from the Luzerne County Community College. Jack loved music and even had founded and played in three local bands. He built and rode motorcycles, loved animals, and was really into tattoos. He also enjoyed holding hands and long walks on the beach. Citation needed. Uh, the most important thing to Jack was probably his wife and two kids, but the most important thing about Jack was his larger-than-life personality. He had a sarcastic comeback for anything someone could say, and it was said that he could always make someone laugh, even on their worst day. Jack sounds like a bit of a legend. On June the 10th, 2011, at the age of 32, Jack died suddenly in his home from a fatal heart arrhythmia, also referred to as sudden cardiac death. Oh my god. I'm like, Jack sounds like a legend, and he's about my age, and then he just suddenly dies. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm a legend. He's my... <laughs> just dying. It's like, it'd be... Oh, man. Not cool. Unlike a heart attack in which the sufferer has time to take action, someone who suffers sudden cardiac death only has a window of about one to five minutes to receive emergency medical treatment to have any chance of survival. Which, I mean, even if you're just, like, outside the hospital, that's not quick enough. You literally have to be, like, in a hospital bed, probably hooked up to an ECG machine for them to be like, okay, so no, you're gonna die. The emails. On November the 21st, five months and 21 days after Jack had died, his friend Tim received an email from Jack's account. The subject like, oh, maybe I've heard of this story. I think I've heard this story before, very vaguely. The subject line read, I'm watching. The message simply read, Did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your f***ing attic. One of the last times Tim had seen Jack, they went up to his attic to see how much work it would take to finish it and make it into a usable room. Jack teased Tim for how dirty and dusty the attic was, a conversation that no one else had heard, and they didn't likely mention to anyone else because it would make for an extremely boring anecdote. The same night, Jack's cousin, Jim, also received an email while he was recovering from having broken his ankle about a week earlier. How you doing? I knew you were going to break your ankle. Tried to warn you. Gotta be careful. Tell Rock for me. Great song, huh? You're welcome. Couldn't get through to him. His email didn't work. That is very hard to read. <laughs> Dude, could you use like more than four words per sentence? Dead Jack? Come on. A user on YouTube going by the name Frank Froze commented on a number of YouTube videos about the case, claiming to be Jack's cousin. He said, Jack comes to me in my dreams a lot. I'm his cousin Frank. My family calls me Rock. Look on Jimmy's phone and you'll see a message for me from Jack. I wrote a song for him months after his death. I was having trouble with the guitar part and Jack came to me in a dream with his guitar and a bottle of whiskey and helped me finish the song. That's what the second part of Jimmy's email meant. I can't verify with absolute certainty that these posts were by Jack's cousin, but it seems reasonably likely enough and I'll assume that they were. Yeah, there's like YouTube comments where it's like someone's telling something and it just feels very authentic. And you're like, either this person has is both an exceptional liar and has a lot of time to waste or they're genuinely that person. Like, oh, I'll have things on like Casual Criminalist, the, the other podcast that I do. And someone will be like, yeah, yeah, actually, I knew this person. And sometimes you're like, bullshit. And other times you're like, yeah, okay, this seems totally believable. And people will be like, oh, wow, I knew this person as well. And it's like, oh, that's that's fascinating and also dark and scary. Because in the real world, I don't know anyone who's been murdered. And now online, I'm like reading this. This is like, yeah, this was my mate who was murdered. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that is so intense. Like someone I knew got murdered? That's crazy.
So, over five months after his death, Jack sent emails to his friends and family about events that happened after he died. These were the only two emails that were shared publicly, but supposedly there could be more. After all, it seems unlikely to me that his wife would not have received one before his cousins unless she was too faint of heart to communicate to the dead. Or she was just like, who's around? Not cool. The messages were all short, but with one being a reference to a conversation only Tim would have known about and the other referencing posthumous events, the most logical conclusion surely must have been that Jack's ghosts were sending friends and family pithy emails while he patiently waited for them waited for them to join him in the afterlife. Right? No, Kevin. <laughs> the most rational explanation? The most rational explanation is someone who's with them. In fact, I'd say that's pretty much the only explanation. Theories The first theory is that it was Jack's ghost sending those emails. Ghosts aren't real, and I'm not even going to entertain a discussion on that matter, other than to say why did he only send emails once and then never again? Were those emails the unfinished business that he needed to complete to move on into the afterlife proper? Did he go on a, to a spirit realm cocktail party and get so wasted that he forgot his email password for the rest of eternity? I can't even with you people. I can't even with you people. If you believe in ghosts and take exception to my curt dismissal of your beliefs, be sure to get in the comments and let me know. Or don't. Or don't. If you're still listening to this channel like months later, be like, where's the story where someone finally convinces Simon that ghosts are real? Well, you're going to be a long time listener, let me just put it that way. Or you're going to give up because you find it annoying. Both fair to be honest the next theory is that it wasn't jack's ghost sending those emails specifically either his account was hacked or it was a prank being pulled by someone else there does not seem to be any evidence of his account being hacked however in writing those would be pretty bizarre behavior for a hacker while jack's friends insist that no one knew his passwords if any of them or his wife were responsible for the emails then it seems unlikely they would come out and say it i believe the most likely candidate for this theory would in fact be his wife i'm just thinking exactly that because the sort of like you know that anecdote they were talking about like he went up to his mate's house and his attic was really dusty and he made fun of him that's the sort of boring thing that i tell my wife i'd be like yeah i went up to my mate's attic it was really dusty and i'm sure my wife's thinking fascinating love thank you uh one interesting story but she's like oh that's interesting because <laughs> she humors me but she's exact that the wife is exactly the sort of person who would know about this boring mundane everyday thing about her husband's life i think it's the wife she would be the person most likely to know his passwords, may have had a similar sense of humor, and would be privy to, privy to the mundane banality of his everyday conversations. Exactly. Going into your friend's attic and noting that it was extremely dirty might not make for a riveting movie, other than, of course, Jumanji, but it would be suitable as part of the So, how was your day, honey? conversation. Exactly. Kevin and I bang on the same page about this one. And <laughs> just thinking about my wife. <laughs> She's a, just fascinating story, Simon. <laughs> She has to put up with it as well, I know. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Finally, we come to my preferred explanation for this mystery. I identify with this story quite a bit because barring sudden death, I intend to deliver my own eulogy posthumously. Holy sh**. I was just thinking about that the other day. I was listening to a podcast and one of the questions the guy asked was like, who, do you, who would you want to deliver your eulogy? And I was thinking... 
Is it super narcissistic to like pre-record a video for my own funeral? Uh, yes, I think is the answer. <laughs> so I probably won't do that. Also, I hope I die like suddenly in my sleep and then I'm frozen. So uh, yeah, I probably won't be doing that because then you'll record one and you'll be like, well, okay, how often do I have to record a new one? How often do I have to update things? Because it was five, if let, let's say I made one five years ago, I'd be like, well, there'd be no message for my kids. My life is really different. I'd probably, I'm a different person. Like I've grown like over the last five years. I'm sure there's different that I would say. So how often are you going to redo it? Like every year, every two years, that feels like too long. Every six months, then you're just thinking about your death every six months, which I guess is good because when you think about your death, it, you know, you're like, don't forget you're gonna die what's that memento mori i love that from the uh whenever the whenever the roman generals can would come back from that and this is not me reading facts there's just vague memories whenever they'd come back from like their triumphs in battle there'd be a, a slave or someone like a lower ranking officer like behind them while they're going through like their roman ticker tape parade or whatever like being like oh i'm being praised by so many people i am basically an invincible god and there was just someone behind them whispering in their ears remember you will die and i'm like that is legit i don't know remember you will die memento mori it's so morbid but i do feel it's good honestly who could properly memorialize what an absolute legend i was better than me well there's that narcissism plus i want my funeral to basically be a big party with lots of fun and laughing not the morbid snooze fest of a traditional funeral at this point you might be thinking wow kevin you sound like a really fun guy thank you i am but you also might be thinking wait a minute but didn't jack free suffer sudden cardiac death also yes but it's more complicated than that. To put it plainly, Jack Freeze was a big guy. Not big enough to appear on a TLC reality show, but still big even by American standards. Oh my god, TLC. I mean, allegedly, it's such a piece of shit, right? I mean, I only see it because you see the clips of it on YouTube. And it just feels like it's basically exploiting people who have problems in one way or another. Whether they're overweight, whether they're like having some relationship difficulties. What's the other one? Is 90 Day Fiance done by uh tlc because i i've seen people reacting to that and i'm like oh my god this show is f this is just wrong and the the my 700 pound life or whatever it's called it's like dude and then i heard an interview with that guy and they were like yeah they blew a lot of stuff out of proportion and i'm like of course they did because allegedly they seem you know it's a, it's, a, it's a bit exploitative, isn't it? And by a bit, I mean a lot, allegedly. Uh, but he was still big even by American standards. While his death was sudden, that doesn't mean it was unpredictable. There are a number of factors which can increase the risk of heart arrhythmia, including obesity, and there's no way for us to know if he had an irregular heartbeat or any other increased risk factors prior to his death. It is absolutely possible that he knew this was a possibility, regardless of how likely he thought it was, and he wrote the emails in advance, scheduling them to send. It's even possible that he had been doing this for years, periodically altering and rescheduling the emails wait so he, that means he must have been doing it every few weeks which is super morbid just for like some prank that you're not even going to get to appreciate because you'll be dead the biggest clue that points to this possibility is when the emails arrived five months and 21 days after his death that sounds an awful lot to me like he had scheduled the emails to send six months later if they were written nine days before he died it explains how he knew about the state of tim's attic as well oh he's definitely just scheduled send so he, he scheduled them to send in six months, and then maybe there's a trigger, like six months after the last login. Like I know for my uh, Gmail and documents and stuff, you set up like a point of contact that the 
access goes to after you haven't logged in for like six months or something because they're like he hasn't logged in for six months he's dead ain't he <laughs> and then at that point my wife gets an email being like yay you get access to all these pointless documents and emails i don't i actually i don't think even think the email i think the emails just burn they just go to nothing but like all my like google docs and stuff i don't know because i keep all my like important in there <laughs> i mean no i don't <laughs> But how could he known about Jim's ankle breaking or the song that Frank wrote? Simply, he didn't. The ankle would just have been a guess, but the email references having warned him in the past, so it seems like this injury was just an inevitability, and Jack shot his shot hoping to get lucky. Even if Jim hadn't actually broken his ankle, simply twisting or injuring it, again, something that sounds like it was a long time coming, it could have been enough for us to read something into it. As for Frank's song, we can't be sure what the email was actually meant to be referring to. It could be something as simple as a song that Jack had recommended Frank listen to in their last encounter, or he could have assumed that Frank would use him as inspiration to write a song after his death. Remember, these are friends and cousins that Jack knew for most of his life. It's hardly a stretch to think that he had some uh, that he had some idea of how their minds worked and how they might respond to his death and these messages. Yeah, okay. I thought it was the wife at first, but then I'm like that uh, six month thing, the five day, five months, twenty one days. That just nails it shut for me. This guy was like re-prepping these emails every few weeks just in case he died so that he had something funny for people to enjoy after his death which is cool um morbid but cool wrap up ultimately the true origin of jack freeze's emails will remain a mystery forever if someone with his password sent them they aren't talking if they were scheduled emails there may be no way to identify it while i believe this is a mystery the family could probably solve if they wanted to and that's not going to happen tim has spoken to jack's mother about the emails and she told him think what you want about it or just accept it as a gift he went on to say if someone's messing around i don't care because i take it whatever way i want the overwhelming response from the parties involved has been that these emails while shocking at first are a blessing they provided comfort and the mystery around them keeps people talking about jack long after his death while i have my theory perhaps this is a mystery that's best left unsolved but it wasn't ghosts bonus facts Number one, too lazy to schedule posthumous emails yourself? There's an app for that! There are a wide range of apps and companies that allow you to write and schedule emails to be sent after your death. They work by either having a second person inform the company of your death or by automatically sending them if a subscriber fails to check in within a specific time period. A friend of mine's doing something really nice, which I think I'd like to do as well, is he set up, he's got like young kids. He set up an email address for one of his kids. She's like three or something. And he sends emails to it. So even now he's like hey daughter i went to the park with you today we had a really nice time and he just sends these emails to this email address so that when she gets that email address later in life she'll be able to see all these nice emails that he sent and there'll be like a little time capsule of their like childhood adventures and i was like that's incredibly sweet but the reality is she'll probably get that email when she's a teenager and be like dad what's all this junk in my inbox <laughs> dad why'd you send me so many emails you expect me to read all this i'm already i'm already like my I, I the kids are like so sweet and beautiful like they love you so much but i just know at some point they're gonna tear my little heart out <laughs> bastards <laughs> because at some point they'll be teenagers well and i'll be like i don't care <laughs> you delete all those emails that is best of us <laughs> <laughs> Number two, while similar devices to the Ouija board it can be found in historical writings dating back as far as 1100 AD, the modern board was designed by businessman Elijah Bond on the 1st of July 1890. According to the Smithsonian, the creator asked the board what to name it, and he got the word Ouija uh, from it. When asked what it meant, the board replied, 
good luck. Number three, the mechanism responsible for moving the planchette, planchette on a Ouija board or any talking board. Wait, there are talking Ouija boards? Uh, is called the idiometer effect. The, idom- the idiometer effect is a psychological phenomenon resulting in a subject making motions unconsciously. Every time a talking board has been used under laboratory conditions, it has been demonstrable that the subjects were unconsciously moving the planchette. To date, zero ghosts have ever communicated through the use of a Ouija board, not even the one that allegedly named it. Number four, defying all logic and reason, a belief in ghosts and the supernatural has increased dramatically in the United States over the past few decades. No, it hasn't. You can't be serious. I thought that was one thing like, as societies get more developed, religion and, you know, other supernatural, belief in supernatural stuff falls. Because it's like, yo, if you're like living in a hut and you're starving, you'd like start praying because you're like, oh, I'm really hungry. Please, please, Jesus, send me some food or spirit of choice. But then when you're like, oh my God, I have so much food, I can't even eat it all. I just got to go to the supermarket, buy whatever I want. <laughs> um, then your re- belief in like religion and your religiousiness falls because you no longer are desperate for something to save you. This surprises me enormously. When Gallup surveyed adults in 2005 asking if they believe in ghosts and spirits of dead, in ghosts or that spirits of dead people can come back in certain places and situations, 32% did. I mean, 68% didn't. Wow, though, still. When Gallup asked the same question in 1990, it was only 25%. Depending on the sample size, that may be within the margin of error. Yeah, it's definitely in the margin of error. But in the late 1970s, it was barely above 10%. What the f***? I feel also that's more like maybe in the 1970s people were more like repressed like being like you better be what the bible says and the bible says that ghosts ain't real ghosts are all up in heaven or something like that i don't know how the bible works um so i feel like maybe that's because people have more freedom to say although i guess these polls are anonymous but people still feel bad because they're like god's watching isn't he (laughs) it's like yeah i have privacy except from god (laughs) he's there all the time that weirdo compare that with polls from the past few years and the number of americans that believe in ghosts has risen from anywhere from 43 to 57 percent what are you up to americans and i know it's probably going to be the same everywhere else but still what the f- uh this roughly corresponds to the percentage of american adults that did not wear masks despite the pandemic so i guess the percentage of that population just hates science <laughs> yeah and i bet there is a correlation anyway this has been an episode of <laughs> some people using their dislike button right now this has been an episode of decoding the unknown thank you so much for watching or listening uh yeah you can only use that dislike button if you're watching on youtube i suppose and if you're watching if you're listening as a podcast a review would be most appreciated not so many people listen to this podcast compared to the youtube version and i would i don't know just (laughs) i'd like more people to listen to it of course you would simon that's what you do you get people to listen to and watch things um leaving a review does help get this show in front of more people so that would be amazing thank you so much or a rating on spotify ah ah they do that now thanks for watching or listening and i'll see you next time Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.